Acts 4, 23 to 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Jesus, a lot of us have walked in here this morning sick, (laughs) physically, emotionally, mentally, maybe even spiritually. A lot of us have walked in here at the end of our ropes. A lot of us walked in here today knowing we should be here, but if we were being honest, not wanting to be here. Lord Jesus, we offer all of that up to you as we have already met and sought your face through worship. And we are so glad and so thankful that you met us there. Would you continue to meet us now through the reading and the expounding of your word? Lord Jesus, will we find that you are the same God, the same God we just read about, the same God we're going to talk about, and the same God we're going to sing and worship again at the end of today's service, but also of all time. Holy Spirit, come and meet us again. Usher us continually into your presence. Reveal the faith of Jesus to us. Reveal the face of Jesus to us. Change us. Change us. We ask and pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. Oh. (laughs) It's okay. If it spittles on that, that's different than spittle on me. So we'll take it. Friends, good morning one more time. Thank you. They get it. Let's try it one more, one more time. Good morning. morning. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you ever know, if you've ever heard why I do that. I do that for a very simple reason. I want to know you're awake and alive. I want to know that we're not just sitting here and just like, okay, like, here we go. No, like, this is fun and exciting and good for us to be here. So why not enjoy ourselves while we do it? And for me, I'm a pretty loud person, so... Fun equals loud. I know that's not necessarily the case for all of you, and that's okay. We love those who do not agree with that statement, but that's how it plays out for me. Friends, whether you have been with us for the last several months or this is your first time with us this morning, we have been moving through a sermon series in the book of Acts that we are calling the Mission of the Spirit. Essentially, as we move through this letter, we are looking at what is the Holy Spirit up to then and what is he up to now? And spoiler alert, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We're just unpacking it and learning it. We are taking it deep and letting it plant deep, deep seeds in us that God would bear fruit with them in his due time, whether it's five minutes from now, five weeks from now, or five years from now. But as we are going through this this book, I want to recap for you the last two things we've talked about. One, two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 3. Acts 3 and Acts 4 are this one extended moment, right? It's this one long moment in the history of the church. And so in Acts 3, we see Peter and John go to the temple and they heal a lame man. And we talked a lot about, we talked a lot that morning and about a lot of different things, but here's the part I want you to remember because it's going to come up again today. Do we ask for too little? The lame beggar asked for alms, just give me money so I can survive the day. And Peter and John said, I, I can't give you what I don't have, but I give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he walks. Do we ask for too little? And do we ask for too little because we don't expect the Holy Spirit to work in our midst? Are we skeptical Christians? Are we faithful on Sunday and sad and doubting and unsure on Monday through Saturday? 
Last week, Pastor Will talked about a lot of things as well, but here's one of the things I want to point out for you. The apostles are accosted, I choose that word intentionally, by those in power. This is the first time the church, not just the people of Israel, the church, as it is being birthed, suffers persecution. It's the first time. And we're going to go into that a little bit today, this morning. But that shows us whose truth are we following because they get persecuted because those leaders in charge realize they're proclaiming a different truth and it's not ours. And they're proclaiming a different truth with power and it's taking away ours. So whose truth do we follow? Do our words and our actions actually line up with what we believe? Are we actually people of integrity? So this morning, I want to talk to you about this TV show. It's on Netflix. It's called You Versus Wild. It came out a few months ago, and it stars uh, America and the UK's favorite action sports wilderness man, Bear Grylls. And it's a TV show meant for kids, and what's really cool about it is it's actually an interactive series. And so they drop Bear Grylls in the middle of nowhere, because that's what they always do with Bear Grylls, and they tell him he has to go rescue a person or go rescue a dog or whatever it is. But how he gets there and what he does along the way, you as the viewer decide. Right? And so, for example, th there's one point where he has to decide uh, his, he has too much stuff in his bag. He's not going to be able to carry it all the way through. So you have to pick, do you relinquish the grappling hook or do you relinquish the slingshot? Right? Just back and forth stuff like that. Do we swing across this vine to get across the gulch or do we climb all the way down, which might be safer but might take longer? And the entire time, the point of the show is he's showing kids two things. One, wilderness safety, and two, your decisions matter. Like, what you do affects what will then be happening later on and later on. But this is a very interesting thing I noticed that Bear Girls, Bear Girls does as you make a choice. Sometimes it's very obvious which is the safer choice and which is the riskier choice. And almost every time I'm watching this with my girls, they pick the riskier choice. Whether they know it or not, I don't know. But they pick the riskier choice, and then it cuts. And this is what Bear Girls says almost every time. That's a bold choice. That's what he says. He looks straight at the camera and he says, that's a bold choice in his accent. And then he just talks about why it's a bold choice. And then he goes and does it as he talks about it. And at first I was like, okay, like that's just editing. That's just camera work. You know, he's just, he's an actor, right? Every time we watched little snippet after little snippet, that's a bold choice. That's a bold choice. So I started asking myself, why is that bold? Is it because it's inherently dangerous? No. I realized at one point he actually made a decision that we picked for him that was bold, that was actually safer. He was less at risk of bodily harm. So I go, okay, it can't be the dangerous part. What makes that decision bold? And I realized it's not just because it might be dangerous, but it's because of the inherent risk involved. The potential for things to go sideways. Does that make sense? This idea of boldness and risk is what we're going to talk about this morning. Because in order to see the mission of the Spirit fulfilled, it requires, that's a very intentional word, I want you to look at that, it requires us. Us. When you walk out of here this morning, what you do with this sermon, you will apply to your life personally, God willing, yes. But boldness is an us endeavor. It requires us to live with boldness. So, here we go. I can't talk about boldness without actually defining it for you. Because that would defeat the whole purpose if we just wait till the end to define it for you. So boldness is this, the courage to take risks for the right things. You see boldness displayed all throughout life and history, right? The most clear-cut example I could think of is when I was in high school, one of my friends going up to a girl that he thought was very pretty, and instead of having some kind of smooth line or some kind of way to get her attention, just walked right up to her and said, Brittany, I think you're very attractive. Can we go on a date? And I was like, that's bold. And she said no, but that was bold. <laughs> she said no, and that's whatever. But that was bold, right? So you see people have courage to take risks all the time, right? All the time. But the caveat here, the catch, I want you to notice, is that just because you can Google definition a word and you can come up with what the Merriam-Webster says is the definition doesn't necessarily mean that's how the Bible talks about it. Words have actual just definitions and then they have biblical principles. 
So the biblical principle, what I will say is the real definition of boldness is the courage to take risks for the right things. It's not just being bold for boldness' sake. It's not just being bold for self-serving sake. It's be bold for the right thing. And we're going to talk about that. This morning's passage is actually really cool, in my opinion, because the entire passage we just read is an example of boldness that we're going to walk through. This church, after having been told what happened to Peter and John, displayed for us boldness after boldness after boldness. And we're going to see how that came to be. So first, like I just said, I need to start looking this way. Like I just said, Peter and John rejoin their friends, and they tell them all of what just happened. They're persecuted. They got put through a kangaroo court, if you guys know what that is. It was totally unjust. It was totally out of nowhere. It wasn't right. But they went through the ringer, so to speak. And they come back, and they tell their friends everything that happened. Now, the church, their friends, has a choice to make in that moment. They have a choice. Do we see this conflict that has now arrived at our doorstep and go, I'm out. I didn't sign up for that. Or do they choose to stay together? The passage tells us they choose to stay together, and that is a beautiful thing. I will tell you why. That word that the ESV, the translation we read from, says friends, we lose the power behind that. Because for so many of us, it's family, friends, or some kind of thing, and friends can come and go, but family and blood is forever, and that's fine. I'm not dismissing any of that. But that's not the way the Bible uses the word friends. The way the Bible uses the word friends is, I belong to you, you belong to me. And there's no uh, severing that. Friends in the Bible is essentially akin to family. And something even deeper that our English language doesn't talk about very well. Right? So when they say their friends show up, this is a beautiful reminder that when God says you're in because of him, you're in. And he expects you to choose that every single day. It's his plan for how his family is meant to develop and to spread. And that is a beautiful hope. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I walk in here and I don't want to be in here. And sometimes I walk in here and I don't think anybody else wants me here. Have you ever felt like that, walking into here or anywhere, to be quite honest? And God says, not, that's not how my design for family works. They're bold because they think the courage to say, no, no, no. God said we're together no matter what. So we're going to live like that no matter what. That's, that gives you hope that this will be different than the way normal people live their lives. But that boldness comes with a risk. What are they risking? Persecution. Jesus says in Matthew 11, if it happens to the master, you can expect it to happen to you too. Their leaders, the apostles, just two of them right now, are suffering persecution. In a couple chapters, spoiler alert, all the apostles will, will suffer persecution. And then the story keeps going, spoiler alert again, the entire church suffers persecution. That all happens in the next three or four chapters of Acts. It has come to their doorstep. There's inherent risk involved. When they see that Peter and John tell them this story, they know, they know, this can now happen to me too if I keep following Jesus. That's a real risk. That's a tough choice to make. But we see the choice that they do make. They say, no, I'm in. I'm in it, yes, for you, but I'm in it for him too. Friends, do we make that same choice? When crisis and tribulation and trials and awfulness come our way, do we make that same choice? After they get caught up on this news of what happened to Peter and John, the very first thing they do is pray. The very first thing they do is pray. The very first thing they do is pray. That should tell you something. Right? It should tell you what their disposition, it should tell you what the inclination of their hearts is driving them towards. It should tell you what their priority is all about. It should tell you that, man, when stuff's hitting the fan, they want to turn to God, first and foremost. Because I guarantee you, and the passage reveals this for us, they don't really know what's going to happen. They don't. They don't really know how this is going to play out next. They don't know if this is just a one and done. But they didn't know God's got it. 
And so they take courage in that moment. Instead of being so focused on their circumstances, they turn their face to Jesus. And they declare who God is. Friends, the Bible talks about God in a lot of different ways. And depending on our, our history, our temperament, our personality, sometimes we like to latch onto one more than the other. That's not a bad thing, right? I know people who love to talk about God as their friend. That's the part of God that most is uh, connective to them. People talk about God as father, God as uh, leader, God as prophet, God as brother. My favorite way to talk about God is the way they talk about it in this passage. God is sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Do you know what that means? Honestly. That means this. Our entire world, our entire universe, known and unknown, every detail, every facet of your life and everybody's life sits in the palm of his hand. And as chaos tends to swirl, as Satan tries to ruin it all, as we all feel like, depending on the day, we're either having the best day of our lives or the worst day of our lives, God holds it all in his hand, and he says, not an ounce of it is ever out of my purview. Not an ounce of it is ever out of my look. Not an ounce of it is ever out of my control. I have it all. I have it all. You have no reason to fear because I have it all. And I have always had it all. And I will always have it all. Sovereign is such a huge word that we fail to understand. He is above all things. He's the ceiling. You can't get higher than that. And he's not just sovereign what? Friend, sure, or sovereign father. He's the sovereign Lord. Not only is he above all of it, he directs all of it. And his plan is always good. His plan is always good. Even now as they suffer persecution, even now as they're not sure what they're going to do, they declare, God, we trust you. You are sovereign. You will always be above all. Friends, how often do we take the time to remind ourselves of that fact? When trials and tribulations and, and chaos is swirling around us, when we feel like we're at the end of our rope, and I use that term again and again on purpose, when we feel like there's nothing left, that if I fall off that cliff, I am undone, that I'll be alive, but inside I'll be dead, and there's no coming back. When we reach that point, and you can reach that point several times, as I'm sure some of you know better than I do. When you reach that point, do we, do we have the propensity, do we, do we uh, either by ourselves or with the help of our community, our family that God has put us in, turn to God and say, God, I'm declaring who you are because that is who you are, and that is worth in and of itself declaring, but also as a reminder for my soul as a reminder for every innermost part of my being, that you are sovereign. You are above all. This entire situation, my entire life, sits in the palm of your hands. That brings peace. That brings peace. Anybody want some peace in this room? I sure as heck do. I do. But there's risk involved in that. Boldness is the courage to take risks for the right reasons. Declaring who God is takes boldness. Why? Because here's a little lie that tries to sneak in every time you go to do it. What if God isn't who he says he is? What if I'm being tricked? What if he's a fraud? What if I have trusted in the wrong person? What if I have trusted in the wrong being? The temptation for the church then is the same temptation for the church now. When stuff comes our way, we usually tend to either plan, I will figure it out. I can do it. I will move this around. Uh, I'll, I'll devote these assets here. I'll, I'll get rid of this. I'll pick up this. I'll change this habit. I'll go to sleep earlier. I'll go to sleep later. Whatever it is. Whatever you feel like it actually ends up being the solution in your mind, you start to make a plan derived off of that. We start to plan. We start to plan. And planning is not wrong. The Bible says, is the Lord the one who should be planting our steps? But it should be the Lord is the one who plants our steps. Right? So we tend to plan and plan, and really that just becomes a way we say to God, I don't think this is going to work out. I, I don't think you are going to be who you say you are, so I'm just going to reject you before you end up rejecting me. I don't want to be disappointed, so I'm just, I'm here. I'm going to execute my plan. Because then at the end of the day, at least if my plan fails, it was on me. And I don't have to bother or be disappointed with you. Because, man, if God disappoints you, 
That's tough, honestly. But we either tend to plan or we hide. We avoid. Avoid, 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 avoid. I can't handle it. I see how dark and scary that cliff is. I see what lays at the bottom of it. I, I can't handle it. It's too much. I can't go there. It will undo me. Nope, 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 nope. Nope. <laughs> avoid, 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 and hide. And hide. You know what hiding accomplishes? Nothing. Nothing. You know how I know that? I play hide and seek a lot with my girls. <laughs> they always get found. <laughs> but even when I hide, and I try to hide, they find me. Even if you find the best hiding spot on the planet, at some point you'd be found. Hiding ends up accomplishing nothing. It's just a delay. It just delays us before we eventually turn around and plan. But what if God isn't who he says he is? What if God lets me down? To trust that God won't let you down is a risky endeavor, friends. Risky in the sense that it can cost you. But it costs you your control. It costs you you being in the driver's seat. It costs you having everything all figured out, which is really what we want. Because life can be chaotic, but if I'm in the driver's seat and I feel like I have things all figured out, I'll get through it. But if God's in the driver's seat and he's like, just trust me, and we're going for a cruise, and you're like, where are you going, God? Where are we going? How are we dealing with this? I don't know. I see the sharp right turn coming. The exit's coming. Jesus, we need to go that. Like, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Right? And that, like, works us up. Right? That gives us anxiety. But here's what I have found. When we have the boldness, when we have the courage to take a risk, to actually trust God, and to trust that trusting him is the right choice, God always, God always, because he's sovereign, shows up and says, that was the right choice. Always. Always. Let me say that again for you. When we take, when we have the courage to take that risk to trust God, that God is who he says he is, and his word is true, and that he will show up. When we trust that trusting him is the right choice, God always shows up and affirms for us that one, that was the right choice, but two, that he is who he says he is. That's a 100% success rate, 100%. I can think of engineers and mathematicians and scientists and all of these, all these other technical fields that wish they had 100% success rates. And God says, you will have 100% success rate if you trust me. Not that you'll accomplish everything you want in your life, not that your life will look like the way you thought it needed to look like, it's going to look like the way I want it to look like because that's actually better for you and we'll get there. But God actually shows up. Can you honestly say, church, that there have been institutions, peoples, or individuals in your life that have 100% showed up in your life? We've all suffered disappointment. We've all suffered at the hands of people saying they're going to be there and they're not. We've all suffered at the hands of people saying, this is what we value, and we're going to take care of you, and then they don't. Which is what leaves that door open for us to believe that lie, that God is not going to be who he says he is. But it takes courage. It, it takes risk to turn and face that lie and say, this is not the truth. And I'm now going to turn and accept and look at the truth. The word of God, who is God, who is Jesus, our Messiah, our sovereign one. So you see the church is demonstrating for us boldness. And then we get to Psalm 2. That part where it said, why do the Gentiles rage? They are quoting Psalm 2. And what Psalm 2 reminds us, friends, is there is no neutrality in life. None. There is no game we get to play where I get to have one foot in this camp and one foot in this camp. There is none. None. Psalm 2 correctly points out for us, and it is actually a good reminder. It's either the Lord's agenda or our own, and only one is guaranteed to fail. Not just fail in general, but fail us. See, the thing that is so tricky about when we fall into, into the temptation to plan and to hide is because we honestly believe we are going to be the ones who work it out. We honestly believe we're going to be the ones who can fix whatever it is. And it never works. 
It never works. We will learn from the school of hard knocks over and over and over again. It never works. Because even if the situation gets resolved, our heart doesn't. Never. Because it takes someone much bigger than the situation to enter the situation and to make something of it that was even beyond the scope of understanding for any and all involved. The Lord's agenda always comes to fruition. Always. They laid that out for us. They said, the Israelites, the Gentiles, Herod and Pontius Pilate, all of these groups of people who would never work together. I hope you caught that. They would never work together. Work together to kill Jesus. To kill the author of life. Who showed up to say, I love you and I'm here for you. And they said, we don't want your love, we don't want you, get out. They kill him. And God says, all according to plan. All according to plan. My agenda is being fulfilled. I am loving and dying for you long before you knew. I am loving you and taking care of you long before you asked. My agenda is not only just good for my name, the name of the Lord, but it's good for you because I love you. Because I love you. Sometimes we get so caught up that the agenda of the Lord is this mysterious, and I wish I knew every step of it. Trust me, I wish I did too. But I can trust it even when I don't see it simply because I know the one who is planning it. Did you catch that? We can trust it even when we can't see it because we know the one who's planning it. Right? Our girls are going through this phase in my house right now where, especially my oldest, Sophia, will sometimes complain about what dinner is before Michelle even cooks. <laughs> it's not going to taste good. You don't even know what she's making. <laughs> And then so often we get to the end of it, and sometimes she's still a six-year-old to almost seven, and she's just grumpy and complaining, oh, this isn't mac and cheese. This isn't grilled cheese. It's sometimes not what she wants, and you're like, okay, whatever. You are never going to be appetized. You are never going to be fulfilled. But sometimes she rightly turns around, and she's like, mama, you, you did a good job. Thanks for cooking. And it's like, wow, what would have happened if you just decided not to rag on my wife slash your mother and just trust that she can make a good meal because she's a good cook? You would have enjoyed dinner so much more. <laughs> what would happen is if, yes, in our fear and anxiety and depression, I'm not, I don't want to minimize those things. Those things are real. Those things are tough. What would it look like in the face of those things when we are given the opportunity and the risky one to be bold and have courage and to trust that God's agenda is good before we see it happen? What would it look like for us to turn and say, all right, God, I don't have all the answers you do. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be bold. Because that's what the church is doing here in this moment. They are bold. They're declaring the truth of who God is, and they are trusting his agenda. The real risky thing, friends, is following our agenda. Because like I said, it fails. It fails. It never gives us what we want. Never. At the end of their prayer, they ask God for something we don't normally ask. They ask for more boldness. They have it, and they ask for more. Sometimes we don't even ask for boldness. And sometimes when we are bold, we don't ask for more. It's a pretty strange request. We can be honest. They seem to have plenty of it. Look at the way they're acting. Look at the way they're trusting in the face of trial. They seem to have plenty of it. And this is the thing they ask for? They ask for more. Why? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. Why? Well, because they risk missing out on what God wants to do. Let me give you a scenario that is not hypothetical at all for most of us. How often does our life take a turn, and now it's some variation of awful or not good or at the very least uncomfortable, it takes some variation, and we ask God to protect us. God, remove the situation. Remove the person. Change this, change that. Sometimes we even pray, change me. But a lot of our prayer, and I'm not saying this is bad, honestly. We see this in scripture. But a lot of our prayer sometimes is, God, do everything to remove the parts that make me uncomfortable. Honestly. 
It doesn't mean that we can't ask God for protection. But are we asking God for protection because we know we, we can trust him as the one who will always protect us? Or are we asking God for protection because what we're really just saying is, God, I can't deal with this, so get it out of my life. It makes me uncomfortable. It's, it's messing me up. I don't want to deal with it, so just take it away. Here's what Jesus prayed. John 17, I have given them your word, and the, word has, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Jesus has no interest in taking you out of your situation. Sorry, friends. He has none. But that you keep them from the evil one. There's protection. Jesus is not leaving you without. It doesn't say he's not going to protect you, but he has no interest in taking you out of your situation. Why? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them. It would be counterintuitive for Jesus to take you out of the situation that he's sending you in. It would be counterintuitive to both what is good for God and good for you. For God to remove you from the situation you may find yourself in. It doesn't mean it's not going to change. It doesn't mean that healing or redemption or breakthrough, all those things don't need to be asked for, worked towards, pursued. That's not what I'm saying. We're not saying it might suck. We're not saying don't bring this to a resolution quicker, Jesus. But Jesus is saying, okay, apostles, this is when he prayed this. And he's praying for all those who will come after as well. That's what John 17 makes clear. I'm going to leave soon. And this is true of you and true of all those who will come after you. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. This is on purpose. Because I want to do something in and through you. The mission of the Spirit. How do I know that? One chapter back, Jesus prays this. I have told you these things so that in, in me you may have peace. We mentioned that earlier. But take heart. Uh, in this, the world, you will have trouble. There it is. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, in every situation we may find ourselves in, Jesus says, I already handled that. I already did. I already saw what was going to happen in your life, and my thumbprint, my fingerprint, my moving in that has already happened. I'm already all over that before it even hit your life. I'm already all over that before you even thought to ask me to be involved. I'm already all over that. Here's, a good, here's good news. Even if you don't ask, even if in this situation you give in to fear, and the last thing you think about is Jesus and turning to him. Even then, God says, I still overcome. Even then, God says, I'm still moving. Even then, God says, I'm with you. Wow, friends, would we not ask God to just protect us, but prepare us? Not just to protect us, but prepare us. All right, Jesus. You're sending me out? Protect me. Protect me from the one who actually wants to do the worst things imaginable to me, Satan and his forces of darkness. Protect me from that. But then as you send me out into your world to be a light in the world just like you were, Jesus, prepare me. Give me what I need that I don't have that this world may look more like yours. Prepare me, Jesus. Give me boldness. Give me the courage to take risks for the right things. That's what they ask for. And friends, they ask and they receive. They ask and they receive. God shows up instantly. Did you remember that part? The whole place they were gathered was shaken and the Holy Spirit fell and it was awesome and then they had more boldness. That's that same passage. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it's somewhere in the middle. But God shows up and God actually answers. But how did they, the early church, how did they even have boldness in the first place? They had boldness and they asked for more. You went from one to two. How do you go from zero to one? How, do you, how did they even have boldness in the first place, Tommy? How could they even ask for more boldness? How can we ask for boldness? These are all essentially the same type of question. How? How does this happen? The first and simplest step that I can give you, friends, to that is something we've kind of already talked about. Turning and facing to our maker, We've talked about sovereign Lord because that's the, the, the words they use. But it's very clear in this part of Acts that the way they also talk about God is God is creator. 
I had a, a, an, an older gentleman in my life who a few years ago described to me that math is one of the coolest ways we can understand God's moving. And I was like, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. <laughs> like, I don't, stop talking to me. <laughs> but he said, and I found this entirely profound, so I hope I do this justice and explain to you the right way. He said, when we go from one to anything else, whether it's one to 15, one to two, or one to a bajillion, it is simply adding on. It's just more of the same, right? One to two is just doubled. One times three is three. One times 15 is 15. It's just more of the same. But you see the, the cool, miraculous power of God in going from zero to one, because in zero, there is nothing. There's nothing. Even in negative one, we, in, in negative numbers, we describe it as the absence of something. But zero, there's, it's not even the absence of something. It's literally nothing. You can't do anything with zero. Nothing at all. You know what that sounds like? Genesis 1. That sounds like God hovers over, hovers over the dark, chaotic, formless water, and he has nothing. And he says, let me make something. And he does. The biblical principle and the truth I want you to catch real quick is this idea. Us asking for boldness, whether some to more or a lot to even greater or none to some, has absolutely nothing to do with you. God just says ask. So often our part is simply just ask. And God is the one who does the work in us that he started all the way back in Genesis 1. Nothing to something. Nothing to something. That's a hard concept for us to understand sometimes. Right? That's a hard concept for us to understand sometimes. As a kid, the way I kind of like played with this idea was like, okay, God, I believe you can do anything. Fire. Wallet. $100 bill. Could he? He could. Was he going to? No. Because I was just trying to make God like a genie. But it's hard for us to envision nothing can suddenly, boop, something. It's hard for us to, to really trust that. Friends, I want to say something to you that um, I say with the dearest amount of love as, your, as one of your pastors. If there's a part in your heart that honestly wrestles with trusting and believing that God can go from nothing to something in your life, that's not a knowledge issue. That's a relational one. Because then you don't actually know who God is. Because if you know who God is, if you really, I mean really, not perfectly, but really, foster an intimacy that he has been longing to foster with you, you come to realize this God that we speak of every Sunday morning and in disciple groups and around tables. That this God is alive and active and powerful and sovereign and going from nothing to something is light work for him, literally and figuratively. It is easy because he is all powerful and all capable and all willing if all we would do is ask. So boldness is the courage to take risks for the right things, but what is the right thing? Here in Acts 4, what is the right thing? What are they asking for, boldness for? For them to not suffer persecution? No, they don't ask that. They ask that in other parts and in other ways, but not here. Do they just ask for the situation to change necessarily? Kind of, but that's really not the focus. What is the right thing? What are they asking for for boldness? Where, what direction do they want to channel that in? To continue to speak your word. Continue. This is another way we know that they're actually already bold. They're already speaking his word, and they want to continue. Continue to speak his word. And then they ask God to play his part. While you stretch out your hand to heal and sign and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Sometimes when we ask God for things, we get mixed up between what is my part and what is God's part. Sometimes we ask God, give me, God, give me the strength to get through this. God, give me, the, give me the answers, give me the wisdom, give me the patience, give me the discernment, give me what I don't have. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We see that in the Bible plenty of times. Give me what I do not have. That's a good prayer. I would like to add a second one to that. God, you already have all the things I need and want and could ask for. So could you just show up and do it? Could you just be God in my life? Could you be the sovereign one? 
could you hold yourself accountable to what you have promised you said you would do? You might hear me say that, and that might seem like kind of a rude way to talk to God. No, it's actually one of the most awful, A-W-E-F-U-L, awful and respectful ways to talk to God, simply because you are actually taking God at his word. You are actually treating God the way he is asking you to treat him. You see it all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. A clear-cut example of that is when he makes the covenant with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, when he puts him to sleep, You're not gonna be able to hold, you, you and your people are not going to be able to hold this covenant anyway. I'm going to walk through because I will always hold my end of the bargain up. Always. God is the one who says that about himself long before a human said that to God. So God says, you can ask me to hold up my part of the bargain. Sometimes we get confused as to what his part of the bargain is. And that's where we get into trouble. But if God has said it, it is true of him, you can always expect it to be true of him. And so God says, it's okay to ask of me to hold my part up of the bargain, because guess what? I will, and I have, and I shall forevermore, because I am God. I am sovereign. I am good, always, always. And I will give you every opportunity and ounce uh, and moment to show you that I am trustworthy, and I am worthy of all that you have. He is able and willing and wanting to do that. Friends, they go back and they ask for boldness to continue to speak his word, because this goes back all the way to Acts 1.8. When Jesus tells his apostles, the ones who would be the very first leaders of the church, you will be my witnesses. You will be living testimonies and examples of who I am and what I have done. They're asking that prayer in the same line of thinking. Jesus, help us be bold to keep doing the thing you have already asked us to do. If you know for certain God has called you to do that thing, why wouldn't God give you the thing to do it? That would be God undercutting his own plan. God wouldn't do that. That makes no sense. It may not be the thing that you want. It may not play out in the way that you desire. But man, if God, if God has said it's going to come true and be true, isn't it he going to make it happen? Isn't he going to make it happen? It makes me think of the story of Mordecai and Esther which we're not going to go into in full length right now, but at the part where Esther has a choice to make, where she can put herself in a very risky, life-risking moment and opportunity to save her people, her, her cousin Mordecai, her cousin, her cousin, her cousin Mordecai, I forget, says to her, Esther, if you don't step up, that's a missed opportunity for you. Salvation will come for the Jews one way or another. God will do it. He will do it, whether you're involved or not, but he wants you to be involved. That's the whole point. He wants you to ask. He wants to give you that which he so desires intensely to give to you. He wants to change you as you are becoming and growing the church. He wants to change you as you speak his word. He wants to change you and make you more like him and draw you closer into intimacy with him as he uses you. Sometimes we divvy those things up. It's not an either or. It's a both and. So, friends, here's the part of the, of the sermon that gets hard. Because where does God want us to be bold? I, I want to draw attention to something I said earlier. Not you. Not you. What does God want me to be bold? That is not the question on the screen. It's not. Where does God want us? So here's, well, here's what that means, that I'm trusting, that I've, I, God asked me to trust as, as I plan this sermon with him. It means that if God's going to ask you to be bold in one way, he's going to ask you to be bold in that same way. And if God's going to ask you to step out in faith in this one way, he's going to ask you, you, you to step out in faith with him or with her. That God is going to collectively, as his family, as a slice of the kingdom here in suffering, step out into boldness. Because as we saw, we are designed and meant on purpose to be together. Yes, could God call us to, if there were 160 people in this room, could God call us to 160 different individual assignments? He could. But Ecclesiastes tells us a strand of three cords is not easily broken. Why wouldn't he call us to those same things? So let me give you some examples as to what this could possibly be in your life. Some of us know, and I get this is going to sound a bit ironic coming from a pastor, but some of us know that we're the only Christians in our workplaces. 
some of us know that unless we say the name of Jesus, nobody in your workplace will ever hear the name of Jesus. Some of us know that to even approach talking that conversation, even approach offering to pray for somebody, to even approach the idea of treating somebody the way that Jesus would treat them could get you a bad reputation. It can get you side eyes as your coworkers walk by. Oh, there's that person. It can get you ostracized, left out. It can get you warnings with HR. It can get you fired. But if God's going to give us boldness, if God's going to teach us to ask for boldness, what are you going to do? Just hold it? Can you imagine being thirsty and someone gives you a glass of water, you ask for it, and you say thanks? And you just held it? And you didn't drink from it? That'd be the dumbest thing on the planet. <laughs> you would drink, right? If we're going to ask for boldness, and we're going to ask God to show us where that boldness might be, you can expect it to be bold. You can expect it to have inherent risk. It may not come, and God, we ask, it may not accidentally come to truth. It may not come to pass that that risk and that consequence plays out in your life, but it might. Peter and John go to jail several times. And spoiler again, God uses that in mighty ways. You ever hear of a guy named Saul? What does it look like for us to be bold in our workplaces? For those of you who are 18 and younger in the room, you're not going to like what I have to say here, but oh well. What does it look like to actually be bold, to take the courage and take a risk and listen to your mom and dad? Oh no, but they're old and they don't know what's happening. And honor your father and mother is one of the Ten Commandments. I don't know, guys. Could it possibly be that the thing that is happening in your life that you so wish God could change, God has actually been addressing in your life through your parents? And the answer you're looking for is actually already there in them. Sorry, guys, love you, but it's got to be said. Parents, what does it look like to get off social media and check your fantasy football scores and actually spend more time with your kids talking about God? Your kids don't need you to raise them to be good citizens. Honestly, your kids need you to model and teach them what it's like to follow the king. Nothing else. Everything else is worthwhile. I'm sorry, everything else is not worthwhile. Everything else is a waste of time. I said it. It is. Because just like those kids were called to you, you were called to those kids. God gave you specific disciples he wants to raise. Church, what does it look like for us collectively? That when someone dies or someone's going through a rough time, we show up. I remember, I don't remember whose funeral it was exactly, but one of our church members, maybe a year ago at this point, uh, had a father who died. And so many of us came out in droves to go to that funeral. That there were more of us sitting in those pews or those seats, wherever it was, than there was anybody else. Because we wanted to show up for that person. And I remember listening in on a conversation where that person shared, man, the most powerful, one of the most powerful things that happened in that funeral was watching my church show up and actually practice and believe the things we say we believe. What does it look like to fight for a day off because there's a funeral? And you know that report is due, but that person sitting in that pew mourning the loss of their whatever needs you more. What does it look like in the middle of the night when you're tired and you're spent to bake an extra serving or two of food because you know that new mom and new dad or that family that's going through it right now or that family who is alone or whatever it is could just know that you love them by just dropping off food. What does it look like to honestly, sincerely, I do this all the time and people like to call me out on it and I call them out on my calling them out. People like to ask me a lot of time and they say, oh, whatever you need. And I say, really? Because I will, I will call you out on that. I will call you Sunday at 3 o'clock p.m. and I say, I have 25 teenagers to feed. You want to cook for me? I say, my car broke down. You want to come pick me up? I say, I need an oil change. I don't have any cash. 
and this guy doesn't take credit. Are you willing to leave your work of place right now and come do that for me? All real situations I've encountered. And by God's grace, all real situations that those people say, yeah, I'm in. Uh, if we're going to be the people who say, yeah, whatever you need, are we going to be the actual people who say, yep, whatever you need? Are we going to be bold, church? Because here's what's really at stake. I'm going to go back one slide for you. To continue to speak your word while signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When we have boldness to trust that God's going to show up in our life, he gives us the courage to take the risk for the right things. These right things happen. They happen. This is the final story I want to tell you, and it's a much abbreviated story. I, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I don't remember off the top of my head exactly at this point, but um, the Holy Spirit made very clear to me through my wife mostly, so there you go, um, that the plan that we had for youth group needed to change. And so we changed. And so I kind of did a lesson on the fly, and uh, Rana and Jenny came to help us have a worship and prayer night, uh, and it was great, and it was fantastic, and thank you ladies for that sacrifice. Um, and it was a good time. It was a good, rich time where our kids really dug in and sought the face of the Lord. You know what's one of the craziest things that happened that night? One of our own, one of our teenagers, who has some kind of informal training and deliverance, but nothing formal, did an entire deliverance by themselves. By themselves, no adult, stood in the face of evil and said, I can do this. Here's the crazy thing. That kid that she delivered within the next week and a half gave his life to Jesus. Because they were willing to step out in boldness to have the courage to say, I'm not even sure I know how to do this exactly, but I'm going to take this giant risk so that this can happen. Friends, where does God want us to be bold? Where are we asking for alms? And God says, I have my spirit to give you. I don't want to just change things a little bit. I want to change things gloriously. Where is he asking us to step out in boldness? That we would see the mission of the spirit fulfilled. Let's pray. Jesus, my prayer is simply this in this moment. Give us boldness. Give us boldness. Give us what we do not have. Give us more of what we do of what we already have. Holy Spirit, would you come? And even in your own way, in this place, would it be like the end of Acts 4? Would this place shake? Because your spirit is here. And you are giving to us the thing that we have asked for, that you have promised to us if we ask, you will give. Give us boldness. Give us courage. That doesn't make sense, Jesus. That we would take risk. Small risk, medium risk, big risk, life-changing risk. For your sake, that the word would spread, that people would find freedom from evil, that people would find your life and your truth and your love because they would find you. Jesus, give us boldness. Help us to double down, triple down, quadruple down. Help us to not back up. Help us to not give in to fear. Help us to charge forward knowing that you lead the way. Jesus, make us bold not for our own sakes, but for yours and for the people whose lives we will touch from this day and forevermore. Jesus, give us boldness, we ask and pray. Amen. Amen.